0: Welcome to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Wine, wine, wine. Wine, wine, wine. Wine, 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 wine. Hello again, everybody. Hi, Kim. How are you today?
1: I'm good, Mark. How are you?
0: Everything is great. Always, always good nice to... to uh, yeah, yeah it's nice to page visit, already.
1: visit with you uh, either virtually or in person and, uh, and talk to all of our listeners about all the happenings in the world of wine.
0: Yeah, we love talking wine and uh, finding different things we hope the listeners find interesting. This week we have a ton of facts, Kim, we're going to hit the listeners with about wine making facts for the U.S. and all trends going nationally and internationally in wine.
1: A lot of numbers and a lot yeah. of statistics in this one this week.
0: It should be fun and I'm interested to find out, hopefully when we hit something, if you could please tell me what you thought was interesting or mm-hmm. something you made it didn't, didn't know. I, there was a few that stuck out to me that I said, yeah, oh, I have to Absolutely. out if Kim knew this or thought that that was the case.
1: But then also some other ones that I feel like we are are trends that we have been following for quite a while. One of the things that occurred to me as I was reading through these articles was that, you know, when we talk about trends and we talk about trending topics in the wine world, it's almost like we can break them down into short-term trends and long-term trends. And a lot of the topics that were touched on in these articles, I think, fall more into the long-term trend of overall wine consumption, wine production. And even with the blip of COVID, I still feel like we see, if we look over the last, say, 30 to 40 years of wine consumption, we definitely see some of these trends that we could have pointed out 10 years ago. And yes, we are still continuing along a trajectory that maybe we noticed many, many years ago.
0: Yeah, that's a good place to start. I'm glad you Talked about consumption because we had, I think, basically three articles we looked at. Wine making facts in the U.S., which was a Gus Clemens blog, and then what country makes the most wine and what country drinks the most wine Mm -hmm. were both decanter articles. So you talked about consumption and by far the United States consumes more wine than any other country. And then decanter kind of went off on numbers of verifying that the U.S. drinks the most. And you mentioned in during COVID, I think it was up maybe almost one percent, point 0.1%. Yeah, it was like almost some, a percent. Yeah. And it's like three point three million liters is consumed by but the I, U.S. But I
1: think but I think what was really highlighted between these different groups of facts where one was talking about overall consumption by a nation versus individual consumption by a person.
0: Right. Per person. So per person. So,
1: you know, we do need to always step back and consider like we have a huge population in the United States. And when we look at those population numbers, we also have to remember age demographics too. like does a population of a country break down as generally an older population, like someplace like Japan or a younger population, kind of like us. So all of those
0: factors keep in mind. Right. Good point for the, the listeners. I understand. We, as a nation- do You ask for my opinions we, and you're getting them. <laughs> yeah. No, it's because it, it, it is kind of confusing. We consume a lot, but per population, we're not even in the top 10 for right. consumption. So I, I don't know- is if wild. That's a, <laughs> like, totally yeah. wild. But we have a huge population. So compared to smaller population nations, they drink more per person than we do because the population is lower. So, mm-hmm. We got to put that out there. So do you want to stick with talking about the consumption? Yes, let's. World consumption, they're saying, is up 23.6 billion liters. Up. Up. That's huge, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Huge amount. Top 10 countries that drink the most. France is up there. Italy, Germany, uh, UK, Spain, China. So they're all in the top for drinking the most. Italy was the only country they said that had a bigger increase than all the other mm-hmm. countries. And then you mentioned per person consumption. Now it's the the top consuming nation is Portugal. 51.9 liters per person. The U.S. wasn't even in the top. It wasn't in the top 10. 15 or something. Yeah, they, they were pretty low. So 51.9. The next Nation per person was France at forty six. I mean, that's a big, big difference. Mm-hmm. I could have sworn Luxembourg or something. One of those really, yeah. I, was always...
1: I, I know, <laughs> I know, quote unquote, country that usually ends up in these surveys is the Vatican. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> either right. because they use a lot of wine for mass, or because priests drink a lot. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that always uh, gives me they, a chuckle.
0: Just including it in Italy, but yeah maybe, maybe switzerland was in the top five as well yeah. interesting on consumption and on that note i think i'm trying to figure what i just saw an interesting blog about a consumption the production versus a consumption in the world mm-hmm. and asking why do we produce so much wine but consume less than is than is made did you know it's like a three billion liter difference between consumption and what is produced.
1: Wow. No.
0: But then I was thinking, well, it kind of makes sense because not everything produced is on the shelves right away to be sold, to be consumed. Right. And then a lot of people are buying and storing. And then there's a lot of stuff that's made that's in stores all over the world and restaurants all over there, just waiting to be consumed. But the numbers were staggering difference. I think it was, um, The Wine Gourd, who does a blog, had just recently brought this up, looking at grafting production over consumption. And it's totally off. Wow. But, I mean, that's the only thing I can think is you have to, if there's a bazillion stores and restaurants, they all have stock, right? And every year they're stocking. It's in warehouses and whatever. So you can't possibly consume everything that is made every year, right? Am Am I looking at it? The wrong way, Kim? Or
1: no, no. I, I, you know, I think that that to take that into consideration when you are comparing production versus consumption, and also, you know, we talk about this when it comes to sales. It's like, well, what are you actually tracking? So, some of these, I feel like some of these surveys and some of these number things can be a little confusing because we might not necessarily have all the information about what they're actually tracking.
0: So let's stick with more numbers so the listeners, we can geek out on some numbers here today. (laughs) U.S. facts, more U.S. facts, 11,000 wineries in the U.S. And I've always looked or hoped to find a breakdown of of the 11,000 percentage corporate versus family versus this and that, because I I always thought the number was, there was like 9,000 independent or small wineries and all the rest were big brand, which the difference doesn't seem like it's that much between 11,000 and 9,000. So that was kind of a weird number. And I would like to see a trend. Is it going up or down every year? But they didn't give those numbers. They said there's a winery in every state, which that should be kind of a goal. Like Mm. remember, Remember the guy who visited a baseball stadium in every yep. state that
1: i have a colleague who is doing wines
0: from every state going physically going or just trying to get tasting to wines from every state yeah that's an interesting thing any problems getting them do you know um,
1: a little bit a little
0: bit because of shipping probably right yeah certain yeah. states won't ship into the um, state
1: so i think she does some
0: traveling <laughs> to yeah. try
1: to find them
0: <laughs> that would be a goal just to try to get something from every state that yeah might. They said there's 1 million acres of grapes in the U S and the grapes are the highest value fruit crop in the United States. Well, I can,
1: I can totally see that if you're turning grapes into a product like wine that then can command such a higher price point than the actual fruit itself. Because, you know, obviously there's not only the labor that goes into turning it into wine, but then there's also the aging time. And frankly, the quality of what is in the bottle and the cachet possibly of that bottle. So there are all of these things that can add dollars onto that, that original little grape picked from that
0: vineyard. Yeah, they said 7.5 million tons of grapes. That's all all grape, uh, wine and regular produce, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they said the U.S. produces 900 million gallons of wine a year, which is 12% of the world production. 900 million. I think it said we consumed, trying to find it here, 3.3 million liters and we produced 900 million gallons. I don't know why they put in gallons. And yeah, why,
1: why do they switch back and forth? I don't know. Yeah,
0: that's that's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, and everything in the alcohol industry is metric, but then when they do talk production, they're talking gallons. So. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That I it, it's that's unusual because I, I don't feel like I necessarily
0: run into gallons a yeah. whole well, lot. Ta- it's like it's hectoliters. The tax rate is on gallons, I think, with the TPP oh, too, taxes. which is
1: yeah, that's true, which is
0: another pain, right? Uh, let's see, the U.S. exports 1.5 billion a year in wine to the, the EU is the number one export. Canada, Hong Kong. Yeah, I didn't remember Japan where it said the majority of our exports went. Yeah, and I'm surprised. China was so far down on the list.
1: I know. That's my immediate thought, you know, because we always hear this that like, oh, if you're in Italy, you're never going to be able to find a bottle of American wine. Or if you're in Bordeaux, you know, you're not going to find a bottle of American wine. It's like everything's going to China. But, I
0: wish they you know, that, that
1: doesn't necessarily hold true when we have articles like this.
0: I wish they broke down the EU. Who's right. The like most. which country? Yeah. yeah. Canada was number two. Hong Kong, which is... Always oh, update Japan, but China was low. I'm, I'm kind of surprised about yeah. that. Here's one I think that I was kind of shocked on, and I'm hoping you were too, Kim. Top five producing states mm-hmm. in the United States. California, obviously, number one by far. Washington was number two. New York was number three. Oregon, number four. And the fifth one I was shocked on,
1: Texas. Texas.
0: Did that surprise you? No.
1: Going back to what I was saying about looking at long-term trends versus short-term trends, we have been seeing Texas on the horizon for so long that now it's finally burst through the top five. And I am absolutely not surprised that Texas is in there.
0: And we've seen so many articles recently saying the things trending in Texas, regions in Texas, everything else. and we had a guest on the show from Texas talking about Texas wine so it's moving up there and i'm trying to think who was the who was in that spot before that we would would think it was a virginia or
1: i think virginia i think virginia but i think texas has taken over
0: and then they said the top 5 for most wineries top 5 states were also the same 5 we just mentioned for top producing had also the most wineries, California, Washington, New York, Oregon, and Texas, again, were top five with the most wineries, mm-hmm. which is interesting as well, no? I mean, well, people-
1: Yeah, I mean, it would, oh, right?
0: I mean- <laughs> well, 10 wine companies produce 75% of all U.S. wines, 10 wine companies, which is interesting.
1: But you harp on this all the time.
0: Yeah, but 10 wine companies produce 75%. I was always told like the top two- are producing 50 so i guess that means eight of them are only producing 25 maybe <laughs> that's, yeah that's wow yeah 50 companies produce 90 percent of all u.s wine that is sold 50 companies 90 percent. so there's mm-hmm. my 90 percent number of 50 companies wow i i uh i know those huh? numbers those numbers kill me <laughs> uh. Gallo is the world's largest wine company, the world's largest who who we have here in the United States, and Wine Group is number two, and they sell. Well, Gallo first sells 100 million cases a year. The second largest wine company in the United States, Wine Group, sells 51 million cases. So half, pretty much half the production for the number two Mm -hmm. company. That's pretty crazy. You don't sound surprised, Kim.
1: No, <laughs> not at all. No, no. <laughs> no. this was one of the ones that I read that I was like, yep, yep, that works. <laughs> yeah. I'm not surprised by that at all.
0: No, oh, well, I, that's all the numbers I think I had, Kim. Did you have uh, anything else on the facts you think you, you want to hit on? or?
1: See, I was interested in more of those looking at how big is the population versus
0: Yep. Yeah. How wine, consumption.
1: wine consumption per capita. And, and I just always find those numbers to be so interesting. And I almost feel like sometimes it, that ties in with those numbers for production that we seem to see every year. And it's always like this back and forth between this year it's Italy, this year it's France, this year it's Italy, this year it's France. And to see and sort of juxtapose the production numbers versus the consumption numbers and this downward trend of wine consumption in these countries that we consider to be the, if not the homeland, then, you know, at least the cultural epicenter of fine wine and to see how consumption has been decreasing over the last 30 to 40 years or so. And, you know, with changes to culture and the age of the population and why is it that the younger generation isn't drinking wine like like the older generations were. And I just, I find looking at that number from year to year to year, very interesting.
0: Yeah. And on your point, Kim, they mentioned the top producing countries, France, Italy, always switching one and two every year. So it's France, Italy, Portugal, Spain. They said those countries alone, their consumption has dropped 50% in the last 50 years. Yeah. And then they mentioned Italy sticking out. They said in 1970, Italy consumed 100 liters per person. Now they consume 46 liters per person, which gets back to your thing. The population obviously has increased, right? So doesn't that affect dropping the number? Are we
1: still talking per capita though?
0: Yeah, that's what it said. Consumption per person, they said, was 100 liters per, per I guess it's yeah it's the well, same they're still they're doing still, an average, they're still right? doing a, a yeah. per capita yeah, yeah so it doesn't matter no so it's, it's but you know there half. there
1: are I'm sure there are many factors that play into people drinking less what are they drinking when are they drinking is it less with meals and then you know it used to be everybody had a glass of wine with every single meal and now maybe it's not and so if you used to have a glass of wine with lunch and dinner and now the current cultural acceptable way of doing it is you don't have a glass of wine with lunch there's your 50% you know right there yeah. so i'm always very curious to see what people think about why the yeah. why. why what is it
0: where, where do they go to yeah. do they just yeah. and and consuming?
1: and different people have different opinions and i'm sure there's a lot of data out there pointing to reasons whether it's maybe people were drinking five glasses of wine a day of some not very great but probably lower alcohol maybe what they made themselves kind of wine and now they're drinking half that but it's better wine it's more expensive who knows
0: yeah it's interesting stuff though Mm mm-hmm
1: You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find more information about Mark on his website, franklinliquors.com, and more information about myself at commonwealthwineschool.com. And as always, you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. The next article we want to talk about today is also from Wine Enthusiast Magazine, and it's one that I'm sure that Mark and I both have a bit of experience with because it, it is called the power and provocation of raising kids around wine. And this focuses a bit more on folks in the wine industry, either winemakers or wine sellers like ourselves, but then it also does touch a little bit upon the idea of when you are raising kids, how do you deal with the topic of your own consumption and alcohol in general around children? So I'm sure that you have some different perspectives than I do on this, Mark, since your kids are a fair bit older than mine. I'm very curious to see how you and your wife raised your kids with uh, alcohol being part of the equation.
0: Yeah, I kind of want to go a different direction, Kim. I want to talk, get your view (laughs) on raising your younger children because I didn't have the opportunity. I wasn't in the alcohol industry raising my children. So I want to kind of talk to you about how you're raising your children as you're in the industry, but my side I want to use is I grew up in the liquor industry, so right. when my parents, so you thought, have the
1: perspective of being a kid in a family right, that right.
0: So I'm the alcohol kid was versus, the business, right? And it's it, I want to talk about raising kids around wine and also exposing, you know, bringing that all in and just getting feedback from you. I know you like exposing your kids to new things, food or or barrier. I'm sure, I'm thinking when you're having wine or you're talking about class you're doing, you're telling your kids about it, correct? Correct. And what's your view? Because I've seen people that totally freak out even bringing their kids into a store with alcohol, thinking it's illegal to the point where, you know, you can't have your kids in it. Mm they can't touch it all of that so i'm i'm really excited to talk to you and get your feedback on this.
1: So along with a lot of the ways that we parent, um, <laughs> my husband and I are, are fairly liberal when it comes to these sorts of topics. So yes, you are correct in that we try to encourage our kids to be very curious about the world around them, whether it's the books that they're reading, or the activities that they want to try out, you know, if, if there's an instrument that they want to play, it's like, hey, let's, let's try it. Or if do you want to Take out this paint set and see where you're going to go with, you know, painting some things. Let's see if that is something that brings you pleasure. So, food has always fallen into that category with us, too. So, we have never been the kind of family that makes grown up food for the grown ups and kid food for the kids. Everybody always ate whatever everybody else was eating. Not obviously when they were infants, but from, I would say, 14 months up, our kids always, and like probably single out there for difficult years in trying to get our kids to eat what we wanted them to eat. But once we came out the other side of the toddler years uh, and into the school age years, we discovered that we have kids who are willing to try pretty much anything now to the point that. This just happened this past weekend. We went to a festival that had a food truck and it was a food truck that was Caribbean food, not anything that my children have ever had before. And one kid said, I'm going to have that. And the other kid said, I'm going to have that. And they had never tried those things before, but they were completely unafraid to try something new. And I feel like the way that my kids eat, patting myself on the back here a little bit, is one of my, if not my best parenting win. Because I feel like I could take my kids anywhere, to a restaurant, to a different country, to somebody else's house, and they would happily and enthusiastically try whatever it is that is being offered to them and would be happy with it. So we have always been that way when it comes to what we eat and also what we drink. I mean, obviously we don't let our kids have the martinis that we're that we're drinking, but we've always been very open about this is something that we consider to be part of the meal and part of our culture either, you know, who we are as a family or because it ties back to the Italian, Irish, French part of our heritage. So we always drink wine with dinner and it's always just been kind of a thing. And we talk about pairings and we talk about flavor and we talk about all of those things beyond that alcohol is something that can get you Buzzed and tipsy. Like we talk about that part of it in a way to make them aware that this is something that you need to be careful with, but you also need to be careful with your sugar intake. You also need to be careful with your caffeine intake. So we are hoping that we're passing along the lessons to the kids that all of these things, if consumed in excess, can be very dangerous to you and then to other people around you, depending on what your behavior is. But in moderation, and if you're smart and if you're careful, these are things that can be a part of a balanced life. So I hope that that is how we can pass along that knowledge to our kids and that when they get to college, they won't be absolute idiots
0: when it comes
1: to right. you know their first semester of
0: partying. So, the, the, I mean, they're exposed to alcohol, but it's almost from... What I'm hearing, Kim, it's almost like it's a cultural experience that you're expanding on with same way with food.
1: I think what we're trying to do is make it normal. And that kind of ties back to the there was never kid food or grown up food. Like if you only give your kids chicken nuggets and french fries until they're the age of five, then that's what they're going to think food is. They're not going to understand that all of this other food is also normal food. They're going to see what they eat as normal food. And all of this other stuff is weird. But if normal food is always what everybody has been eating, like just all that stuff, we eat everything, you know, we're not really confined to one particular type of cuisine or, you know, we I like to experiment when I cook. I kind of feel like it's that way with alcohol. You know, if it's around them, then they're not going to make idiots of themselves because they haven't ever been exposed to it. And it's been this taboo thing. That It's like, oh, now I'm in college. Now I can drink beer, even though it's still illegal. It's like my kids are like, yeah, it's a beer. Okay. They'll have a sip and they're like, yeah, it's fine. Whatever. You know, completely right. not interested. So I'm hoping that it doesn't flip on us. And I know that there are studies both ways, that there are studies that say that kids are who are raised this way have a better chance of not getting themselves into trouble. But then there are studies that show the exact opposite, that if you raise kids to have an acceptance of alcohol, then it's going to make them more prone to having drinking issues. I don't know. I, I, my jury is out because I feel like there's such conflicting information out there.
0: Yeah, and that's what the Wine Enthusiast article was saying. You know, people that are in the industry and they're, they're exposing, their, they're always exposed, their children, to alcohol and wine and they had a doctor that said uh, it's better to discuss alcohol with children and teens better than hiding it or sweeping mm-hmm. it under the rug. Or I think people who have been affected some way in their lives with alcohol, no matter what, won't look at it this way because sure. they've been hurt by it. And, right. I, and I understand right. that. But I, I also feel the way you're doing it, the way I was brought up around it, it, it was more of learning to respect it. Yeah. And I think if you respect it and are exposed to it at a younger age, I think you can then respect it as you get older and understand it, you know, the harms and the the benefits with food and stuff like that. Because in the EU, they treat wine as food. And I think that is the same way how they raise their kids that way to respect it as food and part of culture. And you can see, it, I think it's a better... I I, I shouldn't say it's a better situation, but it's they're exposed and they can control it, I would say, better. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting. I think everyone knows you're a great mom and people (laughs) in the industry have to deal with it the way my parents, when my parents first got in the liquor business, I was so young, they had to take me to the business because mm-hmm. I couldn't stay by myself. And I saw a lot of things. And and I think seeing how it affected people, how people yeah. reacted to it, made me a better person to respect alcohol and also gave me the drive to want to learn about wine and understand it more. So I would think the same with your kids. They're probably asking you questions about the wines, right? And the classes you do, yep. right? Yep. I've got one kid
1: who already wants to be a bartender,
0: so. (laughs) So, I mean, they see what you're doing. They know you have passion for wine. I think also
1: my kids associate it with food. They associate it, like it goes hand in hand with culinary and with cuisine. And so it's not necessarily something that is separate from how we eat our meals, you know, because a lot of it is tied in with how we eat our meals. And I think that the way that I talk about it, where it's, you know, we talk about the flavors and and we say like, this has acidity, makes your mouth water, like that kind of thing, where you can have those same conversations around food. So whether you're having a sip of Sauvignon Blanc, or whether you're having a teaspoonful of good balsamic vinegar, you know, you can equate those food sensation kind of things and think that that makes people better cooks, um, but also just aware of the flavors that are around you. But back to what you said about, you know, being respectful about it and understanding that there are pitfalls to alcohol because it is a drug and your reaction to it is going to be different than somebody else's. And, you know, just be aware that, that it is a substance that needs respect and you need to know that it is something that can get you into trouble and I think that that's why we try to tell cautionary tale stories you know sometimes about what we or friends did as as younger people and I don't know if the kids are going to listen to that because you know they have to make their own decisions and choices and and live their own lives but I think knowing that it's something that is not taboo hopefully will lead them to make decisions that aren't based around, I want to do something because my parents forbid me from doing it.
0: What about this, Kim? When you're shopping, do your kids say things about the alcohol they see? Do they say, mom, that's you like that wine? Or are they that, uh, at that point uh, that they're noticing? I'm getting back to oh, my rant so. on exposure. Do you think yeah. if kids are brought up like yours where they're around, wine or you're showing them and teaching them this is wine and this is that, that when they see it, they respect it more, or if a kid is sheltered from it, when they see it, they want to explore it more. So they shouldn't be exposed. You know you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to yeah. Figure out, I always go off on the thing about, I think there's too much of it being yes, exposed th- in there's stores. There's too much
1: exposure. Yeah. There are too many Probably places selling be it.
0: afraid to go into liquor stores or wine stores, but in stores that sell other things, is it bad exposure for kids who are not being brought up exposed to it versus a child who right. is around it?
1: Well, what about all those kids? I mean, cause I'm sure that there are those kids out there who like aren't allowed to eat any snack foods.
0: Right. Exactly. I mean, are they allowed they to go into a candy down? store they yeah, can't, you can't go, in- go into a candy
1: store? You can't right. walk down the chip aisle. Right. Because it's yeah, just like point. all of these things around you that are just tempting you with the things that you cannot have. Good point. For me, good it point. was sugary cereal when I was a kid.
0: Yeah. I could
1: only have sugary cereal in those tiny little snack packs when we went on vacation. And I remember thinking one of the first things I'm going to do when I'm an adult and I get out of the house is I'm going to buy myself a box of cereal or a big box of cookies. <laughs> like, right, so for right. me, apparently it was sugar. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> Not yeah. that
1: my parents ever you know, kept me from eating particular things, but I don't know. I think that there is that feeling of when there are things that you have been brought up to believe are off limits. You can't have this. People want it.
0: Right. Especially,
1: Especially when they're, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old. And you get brains not fully the developed at that point. That so
0: <laughs> you have opposite views with people all those long as they're with me, it's okay, that type of thing. But it's not really, they're not being brought up around it. They, they're probably tasting it before they should, they're exposed to it that way, a little too early. You know, we've all had that relative who wants to put the wine on the baby's lips and stuff like that. You know? <laughs> but we're talking the the whiskey on the gums for the teething yeah. that one. Yeah. But that's totally different than telling a kid. Yeah. As long as you're in my house, when I'm home, you can have it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I think that's a different type of reason to respect it than the one like you, where you're, it, it's a more of a culture thing to me, yeah. the way you, the way you're doing it.
1: So my husband was always, so he was raised in a, a bit more of a, an Italian family than I was. And once he was like I don't know seven or eight years old he was allowed to have a tiny little glass of red wine with with his pasta and so he wanted to implement that for the kids when our kids when they were six seven eight whatever years old and he tried a few times and the kids are like yeah no I don't I don't want to drink that so they're like completely just they've been offered it and they are like no thank you wow like maybe take a sip and be like I'm done even watered down because we water down it's like water right. down your Chianti they're like yep nope not a wow. thing for me.
0: So well, I don't know. I just, I, when I saw this, I, I this is interesting. I got to f- ask Kim. Uh, <laughs> I'm going mean, to pick my brain, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I like we we're around it and uh, our kids are around it. And I think my kids are obviously older, but we were involved in the, in the business. So they knew of the business, and I think they are respecting at their even at their ages they're they're older adults, mm-hmm. but they respect. I feel they respect alcohol because of how I was raised around it, yeah. and I that, didn't really push it or give lectures on it. Uh, it was just to me it was a natural being in a family business, and they that's how they learned the the culture of mm-hmm. of drinking. I wish they drank more wine at the <laughs> you know I'm always bringing. Things home and we we'll say to my son, you know, hey, try this. It's so special. It's from here. It's this and that. Is only so much of it out there. Like, yeah, okay, you know, <laughs> no thanks, Dad.
1: <laughs> but
0: yeah, but uh, interesting. Another interesting one. And and you've mm-hmm. heard horror stories of people who are in the business and for some reason or another they end up they can't be around alcohol anymore because of health reasons mm-hmm. or abuse reasons. Uh, so there's all sides of this. Yeah. Being I
1: have to say though it has opened the doors for um mocktails for my children. So they might not be able to get creative with the same ingredients that I can get creative with, but they've done a really good job of of making a whole bunch of juice things and yeah. sodas and herbal infusions and stuff like that. So yeah. they're able to to be creative where I would be using <laughs> some spirits. They're doing a really good job of making non-alcoholic fun drinks. So I'm really proud of them for being able to pivot yeah. <laughs> and, well, a good and, point and be creative with those things.
0: huh? It's a good point to bring up to the listeners because there's so much non-alcoholic products out there. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. That Hey, they want to try wine. You can get a non-alcoholic wine. Yeah. So, so if you, you don't yeah. like the flavor of that, you're not going to, you, you know, like the flavor of wine with alcohol so yeah
1: and i mean we do a couple of dry months a year and so it's like woohoo it's mocktail month (laughs) so we just kind of have fun with the creativity of it so
0: thank you for joining us today on the wonderful world of wine we've been your hosts mark Lindsay and kim simone exploring all things wine with you To get more information about Kim, go to her website, commonwealthwineschool.com. For more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. You can find all our past episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes or any of the podcast sites. Just do a search, The Wonderful World of Wine. If you have any questions or comments, please find us on our Facebook page, The Wonderful World of Wine, and we might even air the question on the show. Cheers bye